Poland, uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. <laughs> Poland, probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausage. No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland, sausages, <laughs> pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast. Hi, this is Małgorzata Bonikowska, and you're listening to episode 74 of Polcast, recorded and produced in Toronto. This new episode 74 of Polcast is released on May the 3rd, Polish national holiday. In fact, the first three days of May, each one of them, have special significance in Polish history. Well, let's look at that. On May 1st, 2004, Poland joined the European Union, fulfilling its great dream to rejoin the great European family and community, from which it was isolated by the communist regime and system. May the 2nd is the Polish Flag Day, which has been celebrated since the year 2004. May the 2nd is also celebrated as a day of Polish diaspora, or Poles abroad, so-called Polonia Day. Interestingly, there are roughly 20 million people of Polish ancestry living outside Poland, making the Polish diaspora one of the largest in the world and one of the most widely dispersed. And finally, May the 3rd. This is Poland's national holiday, the Polish Constitution Day. Poles celebrate the Declaration of the Constitution of 1791, which was indeed the second after American democratic progressive constitution in the world. Well, not bad for three days, isn't it? In the background, you've been listening to the Polish national anthem. Mazurek Dąbrowskiego, Dąbrowski's Mazurka, also known as Poland is not yet lost, and the song of the Polish legions in Italy, which was written back in 1797 and has been Poland's national anthem since February the 26th, 1927. I promise we will talk about the history of this piece sometime in the future because it is really fascinating. COVID-19, the pandemic. A recent study by the Angus Reid Institute shows that half of Canadians who participated in the study report that their mental health has worsened. 
due to the COVID-19 pandemic. How have the economic uncertainty and social distancing measures brought on by the pandemic affected the psychological well-being of Canadians? But what is really interesting is how is the pandemic affecting the young generation? To find out, I'm talking to Toronto-based child psychologist, Dr. Eva Antchak. Eva, you are a child psychologist. So what age range are you dealing with? I'm dealing with children of different um, ages, especially those who are um, in the school system. Uh, so preschoolers, um, elementary school students, and high school and college uh, students. So basically the age range uh, ranges from, let's say, four years of age until uh, 21. Wow, that's quite a range, huh? <laughs> How long have you worked as a psychologist? I completed my doctorate when I was 24 years old, and I was working at the university in Poland at that time. After a few years, I came to Canada, where I started working in, that, uh, in the school board. It was about 15 years ago. Now, we are dealing with a very special time, a uh, time that's not easy for anybody. We are isolated. And that creates, I'm sure, a lot of problems. What kind of situations are you dealing with nowadays that you probably did not deal with, or maybe you dealt with them, but to a different degree before? You're right. These are maybe not necessarily totally new problems, not necessarily totally new challenges. Uh, but we see that some of the problems that people have been dealing with before the pandemics uh, started to intensify. Um, and obviously, this is a different time. This is a very unique time for all of us. Um, and children are challenged primarily by the lack of structure associated with the closing of schools. It means uh, that not only education is happening at home, it also means that they miss their teachers, they miss their friends, very often uh, Parents not necessarily know how to uh, deal with emotions uh, or, or their child's emotion or children's behavior. So that's what I started seeing more and more that, uh, uh, that parents actually are reaching out for help. Are they reaching out for help for themselves saying, I have no idea how to deal with my kids? Or are they reaching more for help because they're saying, I'm looking at my child and I'm seeing there's something wrong going on. Can you help? Parents, first of all, struggle, obviously. Uh, some of us are dealing with uh, financial issues. Some of us uh, are losing jobs. Uh, some parents uh, are concerned about health issues and so on and so forth. So they are basically dealing with a lot of stress. Children feel the stress. They feel that parents are struggling. And um, unfortunately, when they lack structure, then when they lack discipline, they are becoming more anxious and these behavioral difficulties uh, can again intensify and be more obvious. Please keep in mind that very often when children were at the school, usually this was a teacher who was dealing with these emotions or these behaviors. I'm not saying that this is something completely new. However, uh, now we need to deal with our children and with the educational part of um, raising the child and also the emotional part. And I think that this is most challenging for, for a lot of parents. 
you're obviously uh, dealing um, both with um, what we could call, I guess, regular families, just mm-hmm. families that have problems, right? Problems because, as you said, there's a problem in financial problems, stress, isolation, all this. So even if they were regular parents and maybe pretty good parents, now they may be facing new challenges or more difficult situations. But we also probably, and maybe we should first talk about that group, and then maybe we can talk about the other group because I'm sure that you also deal with dysfunctional families. Let's first talk about the so-called regular parents. So what do you notice? So first of all, the extent of which these, um, this, the situation is challenging for regular parents and any, any families depends on the family's ability to, let's say, provide support and structure at home. It relates to families' unique dynamics, resources, and stressors. You see, before, before the pandemic, we had some structure. We all had some routines, uh, waking up, going to school, going to work coming back, eating dinner, and so on and so forth. It provided us with some sense of, a sense of control. In the moment that when everything was taken away from us and we are living in a totally different realm, in totally different reality, a lot of people are not able to cope with, with these situations emotionally. In other words, we need some kind of sense of structure. We need some sense of control the moment it is taken away we are and we are not able to cope with our own emotions it's very difficult to help somebody else regulate their emotions i'm thinking here about their their children what i observe what i hear from from clients calling me these are usually issues uh, related to the fact that the child uh, doesn't listen the child doesn't want to do the homework the child doesn't want to participate in the online learning uh, please keep in mind, suddenly parents uh, had to take this role on as well, became educators. And this is simply overwhelming. We don't have time for everything. And uh, some of us still have to work online or virtually doing performing our duties. Uh, so regular families are dealing with a lot of stress. Very often it leads to a situation when, when the emotions are reaching really high levels and and people don't know really how to cope with that so before we get to the to those other kinds of families let's talk about what you give them as as tips is there anything that you can tell people how do we cope with this that's a very good question that of course i would be happy to provide some ideas um, however i would like to emphasize the importance of uh, prevention you see, when I'm teaching, let's say, students, children, how to deal with emotions, how to cope with stress, I tell them that in order to take control over emotions, you need to practice some strategies over and over again until it becomes your second nature. So in the crisis situation or in a difficult situation, you don't have to think about what kind of tools and strategies I should use, because usually this is not the time for that, you do it automatically. Uh, so tools I'm talking about, let's say, include breathing uh, exercises, some relaxation, meditation, uh, progressive muscle stretching, and, and so on. But the most important one is um, called thoughts restructuring. In other words, we try to get control over things that we say to ourselves. 
When you think about it, each and every emotion is related to, to things that you say to yourself, to, um, to statements. Uh, either if you say them out loud or it happens somewhere on the more subconscious level, whatever we say to ourselves changes our mood. So if I say to myself something like, oh my goodness, it will never end, what next? Or what's going to happen with the economy and so on and so forth, I already put myself in a very negative mood. Um, and from, from now on, uh, of course, your physiology, your body is going to respond to that, and it creates some kind of vicious cycle that is very difficult to stop. So my first advice is to get control over these thoughts. The moment your body lets you know your body in the meaning that, for instance, if you feel that your heart is beating faster, your palms are sweaty, some people have headaches, some people have stomach aches, and so on. This is the time you would like to calm down, stop yourself, take a deep breath or a few of, the, of them, and say to yourself, ask yourself, what did I say to myself that made me feel so bad? Analyze what you say to yourself and try to challenge these thoughts. Try to ask yourself, for instance, okay, um, is this just a thought or this is just a fact? In other words, our brain is trying to trick us, especially in difficult situations. This is a survival mode. And uh, we all, like most people, react in a similar way. This is called a fight or flight response. Some people will withdraw. Uh, some tr people try to pretend the problem doesn't exist, and some people react with uh, overwhelming emotions and sometimes even aggression. So first thing you would like to do is to calm yourself down, calm your body down, and calm your thoughts. Other strategy a lot of people are talking about is, um, and I see a lot of posts on social media, is inc encourage people to practice some kind of mindfulness uh, some guided meditation, guided imaginary, that is also doing the same thing, trying to put your, uh, your mind uh, at ease. I emphasize the importance of physical activities that naturally boost hormones of happiness, let's say uh, serotonin, endorphins. Personally, I try to walk every single day. Not only that it calms people down, but it also boosts cognitive uh, abilities of about 30%. So these are some of the things we may want to try to do in order to get a little bit more control over our emotions. I also advise people to limit a little bit time on social media. There is a lot of negative news. And you can only imagine how much mental energy it takes to deal with this negativity. It is a good idea to reach out and to listen to news uh, from reliable sources, which is also sometimes very confusing. So these are basically some, some of the tips that uh, I would share with people uh, to, to uh, start maybe implementing in their lives. Again, it requires a lot of practice. It's not gonna help immediately. But I think it's worth it. Again, if you practice, if you discipline your mind, if you discipline yourself, in a crisis situation like this one, there, there are good chances you will be able to control your feelings a little bit better. So the parents should, in fact, try to take this very seriously, practice themselves and teach their, their, their kids. I think this is very important what you're saying. Uh, please note that we are our children's first teachers. 
Uh, and not only uh, we're teaching children how to cook or, or, or how to clean, but children or observe us all the time. They're also watching us. They know that there is something wrong going on in the world, and they want to see how their own parents react, how their own parents are dealing with their stress. So this is not surprising for me that if we are yelling, screaming, or hitting the child, uh, you are going to experience the, the, the same behaviors coming from, from, from the child. Right, which brings us naturally to that second kind of families. The more problematic situations where you're dealing with serious violence and you're dealing with um, dysfunctional families, do you see that this um, issue is becoming more prevalent now with the pandemic? Uh, this is a very good question, and I know that in in media and uh, a lot of people are talking about the increase uh, in violence um, in the households. It can be domestic violence, but also uh, children aid societies overwhelmed with amount of um, of cases of child abuse of this of different kinds. It is very difficult for me to judge what is uh, dysfunctional family. I, I understand obviously the um, uh, the basis of that, but there are simply people who do not know how to deal with children. Most of us parents love their children and want to be as the best parent possible. Sometimes we simply do not know how to do that, how to manage the behaviors, how to shape our children. You know, working in the school system for for so many years, I, I've observed children from many different communities. And uh, we need to keep in mind that Canada is a multicultural country. Coming from different places in the world means that we are bringing our own experiences, experiences that uh, we took from our parents. We, we know how to parent from our parents, basically. Whatever they've done to us, we try to implement with our children, hoping that it will work. And so when you look at, let's say, uh, Chinese or Polish communities, there are a little, or Indian communities, they're a little bit more stern. Uh, whereas I would say that North Americans are a little bit more laid back. And actually, I, I, I love the notion of positive discipline. What can we do, basically, to discipline the child in such a way that we are not harming the child in their uh, physical, emotional, or any other, or, or psychological way, uh, but we're providing them guidance. We're becoming, actually, we're becoming leaders for our own children. I usually say that the worst things I've done in my life were out of fear. So whatever we try to motivate the child by saying, you know, if you don't do this, then this is something, that something terrible is going to happen. We are creating people who will become in the future highly um, manipulative. In this kind of situation, we try to hide, we, we try to do something behind, um, let's say, parents' back. But this is not the right motivation. This is a motivation that creates a lot of neurotical um, responses. The better approach, I would say, is setting a goal and trying to guide, lead the child to achieve this goal. So basically, we can say something like this. When you finish your homework, you can spend some time on the computer instead of saying, if you don't do your homework, I'm taking your computer away. As you possibly notice, this is a completely different motivation and totally different response. 
in the first situation when the parent says, if you do this, then this is the reward, uh, the child may be willing to do that just because this is a positive reinforcement. In the situation when we are taking something away, nobody likes it. Most of us will react with anger to the situation when somebody wants to take away uh, something from, from us or, 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 or threaten us with some kind of punishment. Do you think there is enough discussion um, everywhere about this kind of, this aspect of the crisis or the pandemic, right? We talk about the economy, so we talk about health, but do we talk about mental health? Do you think there is enough discussion, enough supports available? Uh, you're right. We talk a lot about health. We talk a lot about economics. We talk a lot about politics. However, I think it is extremely important to notice uh, that mental health has huge impact uh, on the way the economics, politics, um, and social re uh, reactions will, will continue developing. In my opinion, we talk a lot, but it doesn't mean that anything is done about it. More and more people are aware that mental health problems can lead to serious difficulties, but most of us still do not know what to do about it, where to reach out for help, what to do. Another thing is that we are overwhelmed with stress. We do not feel that we need to take care of our mental health. We are trying to take care of our immediate needs but not as much as uh, of our emotional functioning. And I, I think that this is extremely dangerous because pushing away the problem makes it grow even bigger. My prediction is that in about a month or two from now, we are going to deal with um, huge problems related to mental health. And I'm afraid that we are going to deal with more deaths related to suicides uh, or homicides rather than deaths related to COVID-19. That's a pretty horrifying prediction. Well, I, I hope I'm wrong about it, but uh, when we look uh, at other crisis situations in the world, you can notice what happened in, in Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. um, people, people who are overwhelmed by stress, who are not able to cope anymore, they are not themselves. They do things that they would never possibly do in their life under normal circumstances. Now, the kids are isolated. That's another issue. How is this affecting them? It really depends how the family uh, handles the situation. Uh, you think that by providing some kind of routine, structure, and discipline, uh, children have more sense of safety. And I know that's, uh, that a lot of teenagers you know, would say, don't tell me what to do. I, I don't want to follow your rules. But the truth is they, they do listen and they do want to have somebody who tells them what to do. They do want to know that there is somebody who has some kind of control over the situation. When we provide the child with this discipline, our routines, and, and so on, uh, we can see that children are coping much better than when they can do whatever they want to do. Because again, it leads to some behavioral problems. I'm talking about isolation now, interacting virtually, no contact with their peers, their friends, their teachers, even if they see them on Zoom or Skype, qualitatively different from the regular interactions that they have, right? They don't have extracurricular activities that they used to probably enjoy and 
is it hard on them, you think? How long can this go on without having very serious uh, psychological impact? I don't know how long. I can only say that uh, people are very resilient, especially children. And they are also very resourceful. We're lucky uh, that we live in times of when we have access to technology. We can see mm-hmm. our friends. We can see our families online. Uh, however, I think it is a little bit too soon to talk about the impact because we are all in a survival mode, guided or <laughs> driven by our hormones. I don't think a lot of people are thinking right now or deeply thinking about um, the outcomes, possible outcomes that we are going to deal with after the pandemic is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my prediction, that there will be definitely an increase in mental health problems among adults and definitely among youth, young people as well. They miss going to school. They call me sometimes saying, uh, I worry, I'm in the grade 12. What's going to happen? Uh, am I going to go to the university? How is my life going to, to look like? And so on and so forth. So there are a lot of different issues, a lot of different problems um, of also related to different age groups. For college uh, students, it will be different than for preschoolers or for elementary mm-hmm. school children. I suggest that instead of pushing children and pressing them to do better and better, um, I would advise parents to take it easy, uh, chunk the time for schoolwork or homework, um, give them some breaks, and um, maybe make it look a little bit more like a game, uh, like a play activity. Uh, it is very difficult to ask parents to become also teachers. This is one big experiment for all of us, not only parents, but also teachers. and. Uh, and I think a lot of people are still thinking, what is the best way uh, to educate students uh, through the online means, especially those with special uh, special needs? Your work has also changed, right? So instead of sitting in front of your uh, clients, parents and, and kids, you now do this online. How is this affecting <laughs> your work? Personally, I don't think it is um, a huge difference for me, especially that uh, some of uh, psychologists, counselors, um, social workers have been providing these kind of services online or through uh, telephone. Obviously, I would love to meet my clients in person. Uh, it's um, some, Somebody said this is the whole celebration. You go to the office, you meet with the, the person. Of course, this is a completely different interaction. However, uh, tons of research indicate that online or telecounseling is as effective as face-to-face counseling. I think this is just a matter of preference and, um, and some things that we are used to. I believe that the younger generations um, are more open, open to these kind of interactions, online interactions. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't mind. Again, I miss in-person interactions as most people do. However, um, you know, as Darwin said, those people who are most adaptable are going to, to, to adjust the new situation much easier. Now, I know that you've got something up your sleeve in terms of something amazing that you're preparing. Some kind of a, like a replacement of a regular human being psychologist with a machine, yeah? Well, I'm, I'm very happy to announce uh, that uh, we are starting a new app. It is called Talk 
to Alex. And the app is designed for youth, for children from seven, let's say, to 21 years of age, maybe a little bit younger. And it is going to provide some kind of counseling for youth. So let's say if the child is dealing with, uh, with some kind of problems, Alex, which is the main character of the app, is going to lead the child for some steps, how to calm yourself down, how to challenge your negative thoughts, um, how to use effective tools and strategies to deal with your strong feelings, with your emotions. The app is almost ready. It's been thoroughly researched uh, for the the last two years, uh, we interviewed about 600 children at the different stages uh, of the app building process. So I'm extremely excited uh, mm-hmm. to be able to provide this tool for, for children and for their parents. This is, I look at it as a tool, not a replacement for the, any kind of therapy or counseling. But as I mentioned before, if you practice something over and over, it becomes your second nature. The problem is children sometimes forget to practice. Parents sometimes are too busy to remind them to practice. So I thought, you know, maybe Alex can can do this job for us. So basically, Alex is going to do what you told me at the beginning. What do you That's do? Correct. <laughs> what do you do when you cannot control your emotions? Alex is going to tell you to do just like relax, do this, do this, <laughs> and this. Is that what Alex is going to do? Absolutely. This and more. I'm really uh, hoping to provide. People are going to have a free access uh, to this um, app. My motivation is to educate people to create conventional tools rather than to deal with uh, with some significant complications and um, afterwards. So, when is Alex going to be launched? Uh, hopefully in May. We are at the very final stages. I would say that 98% of the app is completed. At the same time, we are launching the online platform where both parents and children can uh, go and access some some kind of counseling. I'm really looking forward to meeting Alex. I can't wait to introduce you to him. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to do the voice? You know what? It was possibly one of the most exciting projects in my life. Uh, from the point of creating Alex, how he's going to look, uh, the color of his eyes. He looks like a little robot. We call him a robot friend. Uh, In terms of the Alex's voice, I hired uh, an actor from England. So Alex has a little cute uh, British accent. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's a teenager's voice. So I, I hope it will, um, because of that, um, children will relate uh, mm-hmm. to this character. The way Alex uh, was created was evol- evolving mm-hmm. through tons of discussions with youth, with parents, with educators, with other psychologists. I'm working on Alex with a team of at least 30 people who have different ex- areas of expertise. Those children, teenagers, and, uh, you know, um, adults who already had a pleasure to, of meeting Alex and experienced the journey uh, provided very good feedback. Most of them say that um, uh, their mood improved. So you see that another beautiful uh, part of this, our feature of this app is the fact that we will be able to measure uh, our mood before mm-hmm. and after using the, the Alex, the app. We also will have an access to uh, 
journal or diary, if you prefer, where you can always go back to your previous experiences and learn from them. And Alex is meant, as you say, for a big age range, right? Not just um, a particular age, right? I believe that anybody can use Alex. The interface is uh, kids-friendly, I would say. (laughs) But the idea and the vocabulary that we are using in the app uh, is suitable basically for for any ages. There will be also a lot of um, helpful information like podcasts that people can listen to or they can uh, read information. Uh, So it will be suitable also for these children who cannot read. Alex basically can talk to them Mm -hmm. and, and they can interact with Alex. Can, they can uh, record their own voice and send it to Alex or they can type their responses. It allows a lot of in, in interaction. Does anything like that exist in the world? Is this like a totally innovative idea or is this just a different way of doing things that have been done? You know, we've done a thorough research as well on the uh, app market and there are apps that uh, help you to deal with your emotions by providing with you with some guided meditations or some uh, strategies uh, like breathing uh, techniques or uh, muscle relaxations and so on. Um, but to my knowledge, this kind of app is uh, will be the first one. We all are in that crazy times, but who knows? Maybe there's some good things that can come out of it. Is that a possibility of how you think? I cannot think about any other possibility. I Mm. hope that people will start understanding how important social interactions are, how important it is to be kind to each other, respect each other. When I'm talking about respecting each other, I also feel that I think that our children uh, and elderly people deserve the most of the respect because these are people who are mainly going to be affected in, in any possible way, especially emotional way. To learn more about Dr. Eva Antrak's work, including Alex, please visit Polcast's website, mypolcast.com. Many great ideas appear and then disappear, but this idea hasn't followed the sad path. Two years ago, new young Polish-Canadian professionals' own organization called Connect was established, and it's dynamically evolving and offering new interesting programs. On April 18, 2018, Connect held its official launch at Barrow on King Street in Toronto. What a beautiful event. Since its very beginning, Polcast has been happy to support and promote Connect. On May 6th, I interviewed for Polcast its founder, Luisa Schatzon. You can listen to this interview in episode 53. The corresponding story was titled Connect, a new brand of Polishness. Polcast received a prestigious award from Connect for our collaboration. Thank you, Connect. Well, here is the time to celebrate the second anniversary or second birthday. Well, this time, unfortunately, remotely, the pandemic style. For that celebration, Connect featured an online lecture titled Non-Depressing Lost Polish History. Here is a bit of that event. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Christine, and I'm one of the members of the Board of Directors of the Polish Connect, Polish Canadian Professionals. I'll be your MC for this evening. We are thrilled to welcome you to the first live stream event 
I also um, feel that this marks our second year birthday this week. So we currently have many competitions happening. If you would like to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, we have more details listed there. Also subscribe to our email list where most up-to-date notifications are sent directly to you. We are a non-profit and volunteer-run organisation. Our mission is to create sophisticated spaces where adult Canadians of Polish descent can connect with their Polish heritage, socialise and expose their friends and spouses to Polish culture. We are always run in English language, non-religious, non-political and open to participants who are interested in Polishness. We celebrate diversity in our community and welcome all who are interested. So on to tonight's main event. Today's lecture is titled Non-Depressing Polish History. So we regularly conduct surveys of our members, listening to what they want to hear, what they want to see. And we got some feedback saying that we want to learn about the happier and more uplifting pieces of our history. That, of course, there's plenty to be found, but often gets overlooked, but not today. Our lecturer is the esteemed friend of Connect, Henry Sokolovsky. He is the treasurer of the National Board of Directors for the Polish Combatants Association in Canada. Last summer, he was asked to give a lecture on the badass Polish military, and that was the title, at the Connect camp in Kashubi. His presentation was so captivating that we convinced him to share his knowledge once again. Please welcome Henry Sokolovsky. Thank you very much, Christine. Thank you to Louisa for inviting me back, and I hope everybody's uh, going to be interested in what I have to show you. And here is a sample of what the listeners heard. Christina Skadebeck, one of the most effective spies of World War II, was Polish. People say that she had what you need to be a spy. In other words, regular life bores you to tears. You need adventure. Adrenaline junkie. You have, being in danger is a thrill. And unlike many spies, she actually survived the war. That's a good thing. What else did the Poles do? Again, kudos to the engineers. A couple of Polish uh, lieutenants who unfortunately were remain nameless because of the secrecy of the documents in England came up with a mine detector. If you ever see any old movies, they're sweeping the mine. And actually, you're looking for metal these days, too. They didn't have much to work with. They weren't funded. What did they do? One of the office, British officers who was observing them said somehow they built this with a battery a tin can, and some wire. The ingenuity, the brain, the powerful weapon. And then they came up with this. You'll recognize that design because you see all the people on the beaches with these things. This made a, a huge uh, advance of, uh, possible in the desert with, uh, when they were chasing Rommel. You can watch this live stream lecture by Henry Sokolowski on Connect Facebook site. Very interesting indeed. I hope that you found this third COVID-19 episode, episode 74, interesting. 
If you have more time now, and many people do, please listen to the previous 73 episodes if you haven't heard them yet. We featured fascinating people from all over the world with one thing in common, a connection to Poland. And don't forget to visit Polcast on Facebook every day. There are plenty of great stories about Poland there as well. And if you know an interesting story, a person worth featuring on Polcast, please let me know. And please remember to visit our podcast website, mypodcast.com. You can find a lot of interesting stories there. And of course, also the stories connected to what we talked about today. If you would like to help me make podcast, support it financially, please. You can do so by visiting mypodcast.com slash support. Any small amount helps, trust me. And I want to take this opportunity to thank all of our podcast supporters. Remember I said at the beginning that Poland became a proud member of the European family 16 years ago, on May the 1st. So, I leave you with the Anthem of Europe, used by the Council of Europe to represent Europe as a whole and the European Union. It's based on Ode to Joy from the final movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, composed in 1823. But this one is a special rendition of Europe's anthem. Here you have children from an elementary school in Gdynia, Poland, who sang it in five languages and recorded it in 2014 to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Poland's accession to European Union on May 1st, 2004, together with nine other countries. Well, what can I say? May Poland always remain a proud member of the European family. Wszyscy ludzie będą